You're listening to Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Here, we'll chat about all things marriage, motherhood, and modern home economics, in all honesty. I'm your host, Maris Young. First, I just wanted to thank you for being a guest on this podcast. Of course. Um, Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So we were connected through a mutual friend and... It's been so crazy for me as a mother because now that I am like part of the club, it's like as soon as someone tells me that they're a mother themselves, it's like, okay, I get it. Like we (laughs) have a connection. I feel like even before we first talked, I was able to just relate to you like on a primal level of like, okay, we've seen some things. We both carry the human inside of us for nine months. We both we both felt that, you know. (laughs) Exactly. It's like a bonding experience, even though you know, we were just getting to know each other. So I'm sorry to, you know, cut in right there, but it really is a club because all of a sudden, you know, I will definitely speak to other women who are not moms, of course, but there's just all of a sudden this instant bond when you can both say that I haven't slept in a year, you know, or three years. (laughs) So it's definitely a club. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Um, So what I want to start with really is just getting to know you, like how would you describe yourself Um, and just how would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Um, I'm 27 years old. Um, I moved to Dallas, Texas from London, slowly losing my accent. So I probably probably sound like a Texan already. Um, I've been here for five years. I teach. My daughter is almost four. I'm in love with fitness. It's become a real passion for me. I think right after I got pregnant, because I all of a sudden felt this overwhelming sense of responsibility carrying another life. Mm. And I just felt like I had to do it right. Um, And that's just kind of bled over into my whole life now. Fitness has become a real big part of just our entire family. Um, And I think some people look at me as a mom and think I've got it figured out, but I don't. <laughs> I don't think any of us do. And it's really the the mission of this podcast is to sit down and have real open and honest conversations with other women, other mothers, and just talk about what it what it's really been like for them. It's something you just mentioned actually kind of piqued my interest. So you said in um in moving here and like really getting involved in fitness, you mentioned that you really wanted to do it right. So talk to me more about that. What is that, right? What, what You know, when we, we all say we want to do it right, like being a mother, mm-hmm. um, you know, in my mind, I think at the time it was, so, I mean, my whole fitness journey stems from, from a lot of stuff in my past where I just never really had a great relationship with food. Um, and you know, emotionally it was, it's always just been kind of a struggle for me. Um, so when I, when I fell pregnant, I just, you know, I wanted to, I, you know, you know, right and wrong, you know, that starving yourself to be thin is wrong, but as women, we have so, and even men have this pressure, but you know, I can only speak for the women's part. Um, we really see these celebrities and we feel like we have to be thin, and that's the only way to look great. And, you know, I, it, 
not ashamed to admit this, but I did that when I was growing up, starving myself and excessive fasting just to look thin. Mm. Um, so when I say do it right, when I was pregnant, I knew that my body is about to change. I have to become comfortable with that. And starving myself is not the right thing. Um, so that was like a really big hurdle for me because I struggled with my relationship with food for several years. Um, so just being able to eat, um, and nourish my body and my growing child, uh, mm-hmm. several times a day and not feel guilty f- for me in my own experience, that was me doing it right for me. Mm-hmm because that was not something and that was a really big deal for me my family um for my husband so I guess that's why my motherhood journey was was kind of uh it it was I it wasn't the same I, I don't think anybody's is um but it was really challenging for me because I was very stressed about how I was going to look so mm. when I say do it right it was i knew that i had to i had to eat well for my child i had to not worry about how tiny you know the celebrities were while they were carrying their children right. um, and i just had to make sure that i myself felt well enough every day to get out of bed and do the things that needed to be done for me and for my growing child wow so was that a gradual shift or did that happen kind of like was it like a lightning bolt moment when you realize, okay, I'm pregnant now. I need to do something different. Like, how did you arrive at this this newfound perspective? So, I mean, I guess I have to disclose stuff um, within this for you to maybe get a better understanding. Okay. Um, from the age of about sixteen. No, 15 to about 20. And I fell pregnant with Halima at the age of 22. I turned 23 while I was pregnant with her. Mm. So I was very young. Um, But from the age of about 15 to about 20, uh, I suffered with an eating disorder. It was was traumatic for me. I, I had a lot of pressure from extremely thin and beautiful, in my eyes, um, cousins and friends and I I mean looking back on it now I I was not overweight there was a you know I just had a real case of body dysmorphia and I was young I was impressionable and I was scared and this unfortunate sickness you know it had its grips on me for five years it was I dealt with it for a very long time towards the end of my rehab therapy um I met my husband Omer um and you know, part of my bonding with him was being able to share this because me sharing this with you is a big deal because people are going to listen to this podcast who have known me for years and are going to learn this because I never shared this with anybody. Um, Mm. So this was like a, this was something big for me to be able to tell my husband. And it was important because he had to know that about me um, to Mm. understand everything that I was going through. So when I fell pregnant, that was one of the big red flags for him right away. He knew that this may trigger, and it did. Um, I all of a sudden thought, oh my goodness, I, I'm going to look like a whale. And that was the first thing I thought. Um, but then immediately after that, I thought to myself, I'm carrying a child. And it really was 
like a lightning bolt moment. Like I literally, I peed on that stick and I thought to myself, this is, this is what is going to make me better. Like this is going to be my absolutely no falling back reason. Um, and it, and it was, it really was, it was just this eye open, you know, my, my daughter helped me completely recover from this because I knew that I never wanted her to feel this way ever. Mm, that is really powerful. And I really appreciate <laughs> you sharing that. Yeah. That testimony of here. Um, I think as women, we all deal with our own versions of body image and, and what it means to show up in the world, yes. especially as women who then become pregnant and are under the watchful eye of society at large, you are now going to start making random comments about your body all the time, you know, like, oh, look at how big you are. Or for me, it was, look at how tiny you are. Are you even pregnant? You know, there are so many different um, unwanted comments that that start in your way. And, you know, that that tiny comment, um, I was Mm -hmm. small throughout the whole of my pregnancy. And I feel like generally most women, when it's your first pregnancy, I got told that that was normal. But several people would comment and I would turn up to my you know, my prenatal classes to, you know, the birthing classes that they have here at the hospital, like before I turned up to them and I was like six months pregnant and they would be like, Oh, are you here just for the education? Oh no, you're not pregnant. Do you not eat? And I just, I, I don't know why we do that to each other as women, you know? Um, it was just, it was really like, just those challenges were kind of like all consuming because I was I just felt like, oh, do I not look right? Like, is this not how a mother is supposed to look? And then all of those things started creeping in again. So it was just, yeah. it was just this ongoing battle. Um, but I knew inside myself that this was the thing that was about to change me for in the right way. And that's what I mean by right. You know, I, it's, yeah. it's wrong to nutritionally deprive yourself. Um, and that was my way of, you know, making it, it right, I guess. Hmm. I think that is a huge part of what we as women go through um, when we choose to give birth is that we are going to be forever changed. And we don't know. And I think that's part of the, the um, frightening aspect of becoming pregnant is like, all of the questions, how is this going to affect me um, mentally, emotionally, physically? Um, and we we can't really answer those questions for ourselves. No one really can. And so you go throughout the pregnancy, just kind of observing your own body changing in ways that you can't even control. I know. And you, you wake up like, you know, you just kind of wake up one morning and there is this huge alienated <laughs> belly. Like it's, and you can see like the fists poking. <laughs> it's quite strange. <laughs> it's you know, and I really just don't feel like we talk about the pregnancy part enough. Yes, we talk about uh, you know, all the sleepless nights and and all that kind of stuff, but just the whole it's a really big ordeal. I mean, can a man ever imagine in six months' time 
you know, having uh, somebody kick you in the ribs from inside. Like, imagine that, you know? (laughs) It's It's just almost unfathomable. Like, if you haven't been through it, it's hard to even describe exactly what it feels like um, from the outside looking in, you know? So I I think pregnancy and motherhood, the one word that encapsulates that entire experience, for me at least, is change. Um, oh yeah. How you how you react or respond to that change um you know varies by person but it is definitely the impetus to to either make more changes in your life that you feel will be uh more helpful for you and your growing body, your growing baby who's soon to arrive on this side of the womb or you can choose to kind of hole up inside yourself and and resist the change in which that brings its own sort of like slew of consequences. So. <laughs> I want to kind of go back to, um, you know, you said for you, the word was change. For me, it was adapt. Like how mm. am I going to, how, this was like Charles Darwin's evolution theory at the finest, you know, yeah. how, how are we going to, you know, change? And it's, it really is a we, because yes, our bodies go through the change, but mm-hmm. I mean, my, my relationship with my husband changed. I mm-hmm. I needed him in a way that I didn't need him before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I it, and it wasn't just the sleepless nights, and you know, I I needed him to reassure me that I'm I am capable of doing this because being a mother is not just carrying a child and giving birth, and yeah, it's all of that, but it's it's a whole you take on a whole new role. I feel all of a Definitely. sudden. I wasn't, I wasn't Hannah. I was Halima's mom. I was no longer Omer's wife. I was the mother of his child. And that is, that's a whole other role. And in my blog, I wrote about, you know, I wish my mom taught me how to, yeah. <laughs> how, to how to do this. And, but you know, I don't think she knew either. I think she just did what we all do. We just lit we just live it. Right. And we adapt yes. you know, as we go along. I, I read your blog post and that's definitely something I wanted to bring this to this conversation. You did write about how in the guilt of motherhood, that's yes. the name of that piece, you started realizing all of these ways in which you felt you weren't prepared. So I'm curious, what what were some things that came up for you? You mentioned that your relationship had to change and your identity changed as you birthed your daughter into the world, what were some of the things that came up for you in which you realized, huh, maybe, maybe I, I could have learned a little bit more about this beforehand? Um, that's a really good question. I think, I think the whole not being able to have the constant alone time with my husband, that mm. was a really... And I know that sounds really selfish, but I just want to kind of put this into perspective. Omer and I knew each other for nine months before we got married. Um, The reason our relationship progressed so quickly was because I was in another country and it was like the long distance was very difficult. um, And, you know, we just had to kind of decide, you know, and we we weren't young. We, We knew that it wasn't going to be dating. We, we wanted to marry each other. 
Um, mm-hmm. So we we got married in December. I moved here on January first. Um, in July, I was pregnant with Halima. So I never. I feel like I never got that time with Omer. Um, just him and I alone, and just doing you know the random stuff like Netflix and popcorn, <laughs> and you know just like we just didn't. Yes, we did some of that, but it was it was for seven months, um, and most people date for longer than we were married before they have kids <laughs> mm-hmm. so I think that was the one thing that I was really not prepared for I was not prepared to all of a sudden um not have this time with Omer and I I think I underestimated what that would mean because people just assume you have a child and all of a sudden, you know, yes, your marriage is stronger and you just work through it together. And and actually the, the ugly truth of it is it's not that way because, well, for me, it wasn't because my husband is amazing. We have a fantastic relationship and he helped incredibly with Halima. And I only think that I am as successful as a mom as I am because of the support and help that he's given. Um, but, you know, he for him, it was like, I was your everything. And now Halima is your everything. Mm. And I kind of felt the same. Like, I would be like, hey, how comes when you come home, you're just like, how is the baby? What about me? How- <laughs> why don't you ask why it's 4pm and I haven't showered yet? <laughs> you know, um, I and I laugh about it because my mom did teach me one great thing. When you can't cry, you laugh. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, you know, that was, I, I really wish that I was, you know, I wish one of those pregnancy books that I read told me that, hey, your marriage is about to shift and not in a bad way, but right. it's going to shift and just be ready to accept that. And, you know, I, I was 23 when I had Halima and you know you you were young when you had Milo so you know um that at that age we're still kind of we really want that loving newly married honeymoon kind of feeling all the time right <laughs> I mean I was 23 when I had Milo too so yeah it's, yeah to for me personally I think moving into that identity of okay now my husband is not the center of my universe. Um, I, I have to be in charge of making sure that this little person that came from me is going to survive. Yes. And, you know, all consumed with thoughts of how we were just going to make it through the next day, which left little time for taking care of myself and taking care of, of my marriage in those early months. So I'm curious for you, how, how are you able to navigate or have you been able to navigate shift um, in a way that allows more time for you to spend connecting with your husband? So, you know, as with all things, um, practice and time and you get, you know, better. Halima turns four in March. So I now feel like we have got a groove and isn't that insane? Four years. (laughs) And and I don't want to scare you and I'm sorry (laughs) because Um, but I think it took about two and a half years for me to realize that 
if I keep giving Halima my all, mm-hmm. Omer will just be a bystander in mine and Halima's life. Mm. Because that was what was happening. I just, and it's, it's hard, you know, it's your first kid. You just, you want to do, and I say this in quotation marks, what's right and what is right? Well, most of us mums probably think, I know I did. I was like, well, I have to have every waking moment with my child. I have to do every, I have to, you know, make everything from scratch. I have to, I can't buy anything shop-bought. I have to nurse and, you know, formula was off the cards. And I just, I just had to do like everything, what I thought was, was correct. Um, So, you know, I was, I was all encompassed in being a mum, like just completely, and I didn't give any time to myself, to my husband. Um, my mother-in-law, incredibly sweet, kept saying, hey, let me take Halima for the night. Let me take her for the afternoon. And just, you and Omer, she could, you know, she's she's a mom. She could see that our marriage was not as passionate and as exciting as it was when we first got married. This right. kid had just become our whole life. Um, and. It, and, and, you know, I'll, it's not that Omer and I were unhappy. It's just, well, you know what? I think we were unhappy, but not with each other. I mean, we still loved each other. I just think the situation um, that we had zero training for had made us unhappy. Um, and when you think about that, having a child should never should never do that. But the, the honest truth, and we are speaking honestly, is... It does. It does make you unhappy if you aren't given the right tools to navigate. And I really feel like, you know, what you and I are doing right now is going to be a tool for a mother, I hope, to help her navigate. And so that it doesn't take her two and a half years, um, you know, losing out on a marriage um, that. and, And I think that's when a lot of marriages have the potential to break down, I think. I would agree when, yeah, for sure. When a huge shift like that takes place and all of a sudden, you know, the attention that was spent cultivating and nourishing and growing that central relationship is now being shifted elsewhere. It's only logical if you think about it for that relationship to to start to wither. And it's really important, like you're saying that you kind of take a step back and realize, okay, maybe we are unhappy here, but we don't have to be. Yes. And, and looking into ways for the relationship to take a new, um, a new path to evolve in a way that allows you to, to still be parents, but to still be lovers, to still be husband and wife um, and, and grow together in this experience. It's huge. And I think it's so important for mums to remember that the only reason you have this beautiful blessing of a child is because of your partner. And um, I don't know if you had a chance to read one of my other posts. It was, I think it was the being in love all day um, post. And it actually talks just about that, you know, um, about how I had to, you know, I had to really sit down and think to myself, what changed in my and Omer's relationship? Like, why is it? And it was like staring me right in the face, drooling. It was Halima. It was Halima. 
And, you know, we love her so much. So why was this now the source of our unhappiness? So I had to kind of, I had to do a lot of self-evaluating and I had to be really critical of myself because Mm -hmm. that's hard for me as a person to do that. It's kind of hard. Um, But I did. And I was like, actually, a lot of this has stemmed from me because I was the one who constantly turned away help thinking that I had to be super mum and do everything, thinking that I had to make meals from scratch every day. And, you know, and yes, that's great to do that. But sometimes it is fine to order a pizza. It is okay. You know, (laughs) and um, so, yeah, and I I did that after Halima turned two. And I just kind of realized that, you know, I really miss Omer. I Mm. really miss going for hikes with him and just late night drives and just talking about nothing and everything and you know and I just I just said to myself you know this has to change like I have to something needs to be done so I let Halima stay at my mother-in-law's house for the night um and it wasn't the first time Halima I mean the first time she stayed there was when she was six months however the difference was that night I didn't FaceTime my mother-in-law or text her once Wow! at all. She stayed there and I didn't drop her off at seven in the evening and pick her up at seven in the morning. I dropped her off at four in the afternoon and had my mother-in-law drop her back to me whenever she had the time the next day. Um, Hmm. And my mother-in-law, that was, yeah, that was hard. That was hard. Um, but she was incredibly sweet and I'm guessing understood that this must have been a really hard thing for me to do. Um, she brought Halima back at 10 in the morning the next morning, which is really what I needed um, mm. because I really did miss her. And, you know, I, I stayed at home with Halima for 15 months before going back to work. So I, you know, I was a full-time mom for the better part of two years almost. Right. So you know, I was really glad that she did that. But going back to that evening, when, you know, I dropped Halima off at four in the afternoon. Um, and I remember this so well because this this was the game changer. This is what saved, I believe, this is what saved my marriage. Um, and Omer and I did nothing special that evening. Mm. We sat, I think we watched Family Guy or Friends, I think. <laughs> it wasn't anything, but we sat there and talked and laughed and we sat up all night just laughing and talking and and it was the first time that Halima didn't come into the conversation it was just him and I and it was beautiful and I'm sure so many mothers are going to criticize that but my firm belief is that you cannot raise a child if you don't preserve the first most sacred relationship of marriage in your home. That is my firm belief. Mm, that is an extremely powerful statement. And I, I have to agree with that. I mean, like, like we kind of said a few moments ago, the relationship between the partners, you know, who are there before the child arrives yeah. is so fundamental. And family. so fragile, don't you think? 
so fragile, especially when, as we've mentioned before, like the child being born shifts that relationship so dramatically and so quickly. Um, we have to make sure that we take time to take stock of where we're at now. I, I like mean, that. Takes yeah. I I'm I like that. Thank you. Take stock. I, yeah, that, yeah. That's that's right. Like, let's reevaluate how things are going, and let's see exactly like what you were saying. You you started to realize that you had a choice to make. You could continue on and allow your husband to be a bystander to the life that you were living with your daughter. Or you could choose to press pause and ask, how can we get back to what we, we felt for each other before? And I want to make special note that I don't necessarily think that you can get back to exactly how things were before because- I completely agree. You do have another human who is now pivotal, like essential to your life um, and a huge like starring role in- Oh, they are the stars of the show, of course. Right. (laughs) So I'm not saying that um, you can 100% get back to how things were, but you can find a new way of doing life together that that offers both partners a chance to bond with the child and still bond with each other. So, you know, an example of that is I now don't solely do everything for Halima. It is. And it wasn't because Omer didn't want to. It was because I felt like, no, I'm the mom. This is the, I'm supposed to do everything. You know, traditionally the mother is superwoman. She does it all. Um, But now I've accepted that I'm human and thank God I don't have to be perfect. So, you know, um, Omer takes Halima to school in the morning. I pick her up in the afternoon and it works great because we are, and that's not just, that's just one of the ways that we have learned to balance this second job that we both have of being a parent, mm-hmm. you know, and the first job is being husband and wife. Mm. Every, everything else kind of is, sec, you know, I, I always tell Omer that our first circle is you and I, and if we're good, then our second circle of Halima, you and I, is just going to be perfect. And then everything else kind of ripples on outwards, you know, our our parents, um, our siblings, work, and all of that comes. But mm-hmm. at the core of it is is him and I. It it's so important for for women to realize that, you know, your your husband has to be your be all and end all. I really feel like I cannot get through this motherhood thing. I don't know what to call it, this journey, um, without him. And the sooner I accepted that, the easier it became um, to, and I'm not saying just give your kids to somebody to look after. No, no, no. Figure out, figure out a way that this can be enjoyable for you both. Figure out a way where if somebody says to you, would you do it again? You don't say no. You say, yeah, I would love to. Because, hey, did you ever go through that phase where people would be like, hey, do you want another? And you would look at them like, I'm going to kill you. I'm raising my hand over oh, here. I'm what? in that phase hardcore right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that was, you know, that was where Milo is too, correct? 
He's going to be two in April. Yes. So he, so he's right at the mark where he, where Halima was when I was feeling those things. So mm. you know, and and you don't want to feel like that. You don't, you know you want it to, and you want to be able to tell people, or not even tell people, tell yourself, tell Milo that your dad and I had so much fun raising you. And I never want Halima to feel like she was just this burden on mine and Omer's love story. You know, mm. that's how unfair is that, you know? That is such a great way to look at it. And I think it's good to point out that, first of all, just the just to acknowledge that one might feel like, hey, I don't know that I want to do this again. I, I didn't realize that that was a possibility yeah. uh, before I had kids. I thought, you know, I always knew that I wanted to have children. And I thought that after I had had one, I'd be like, okay, you know, give it a couple years, we'll have another. Give it a couple more years, we'll have another. And so it's been really surprising to now to sit with the feelings that I have because I'm still trying to figure out how to, to be me, Marais. And that's like... Within this relationship. And that's really, um, that's hard to be yourself. Like, I guess me encompassing fitness again and, you know, making like this whole, um, making it my life. And, you know, I post about healthy eating and different workout plans and all things like that, because I guess that's my way of finding me again. And mm. I just didn't want to be just Halima's mom or just Omer's wife because, you know, moving to Texas from London, I, lo- I literally lost a whole part of my identity um, because everybody here just knew me as Omer's wife. They did not know me as Hannah mm. and all the accomplishments that I had um, in London. So it that that was really hard. And then, then you know, before they even could get a chance to know me, I was pregnant. So then I was Halima's mother. So there was all this lost identity. I just, there, there was no me, you know? Um, so trying to gain that back was obviously tough, but there's a way to do it. And you just have to accept your other roles first. I had to accept that I am Omer's wife. I am Halima's mother, but I am also Hannah. Um, and Hannah doesn't have to be, this organic cooking, nursing 75 hours a week or whatever, <laughs> you know, mother, like, and it doesn't have to be that way. And, you know, we talk about having second children and, you know, after the first and, you know, I, I'm in that, I'm in that same boat sitting right next to you um, with the, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think it's uh, something to be said for women who can openly admit that because that's that's a powerful statement to make um and it's a very you know you have to you have to live it to be able to say whether you want it or not um right so when and I've heard I faced I don't know about you but I faced a lot of judgment from friends and family and from random people at Whole Foods when they ask me are you having another and I say we're good for now. And they're like, why? Oh my God, no. And and I say, oh, sorry. I, I had no idea I was having a conversation with my uterus. <laughs> Just, I love know. that. <laughs> that is the perfect response. Because it's so true. It's like people chime in. And for me personally, 
I think someone asked me about baby number two, two weeks, two weeks after Milo was born. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm, what do you mean? Like, I just had one. And these conversations have not stopped, or these questions have not stopped. Just yesterday, we were out eating dinner, and someone sitting next to us was like, oh my gosh, your son is so adorably cute. You guys have to have another one. And he is, he abs, oh my goodness, he absolutely is. Thank you. And he, I agree, he is very cute, but he's also very challenging. You know, he has a lot of energy and he wants to do everything right when he wants to do it. He's going through that phase where if he can't do everything right when he wants to do it, he melts down. (laughs) And to have a stranger, what's the word, kind of project their ideas of what your family should be like as someone who would not even be involved in making sure that you got that postpartum support that you really need directly after you deliver, making sure that you have time for your husband or your partner so that you can nourish that relationship. Like there, this person, this random person that I'm meeting wherever I happen to be is actually not going to be involved in what it really means to be a parent. They're just someone kind of passing judgment on my life. And it really it has started to weigh on me. I mean, people say that to me every time I leave the house. Someone's like, "Oh my gosh, when's the next one?" And it's like, I don't. I'm not sure why there's that expectation to have more. And I'm also not sure, like what you said, when people, when you tell someone that you know, I think I'm good for now, they're so taken aback. I, I'm just, and I'm still. It, they're almost like offended by the decision right, of right. your of your life, of your body. Isn't, isn't right. that strange? It's very strange. And I, you know, you probably think I have a blog post for everything, but I have a post about this. Um, and it's called, so when are you having another? Um, and mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to quickly read you something from there and I hope it might make you giggle. Yes. Um, so it says, this is a question I believe most mothers who have one child are cursed with. And I say cursed because it's nobody's business. And it really like, it's nobody's business. At the end of the day, it's nobody's business. Right? I mean, what are you supposed to say? Like, what do they want to know? Like, all the details of how it's going to go down? Like, I even if you- Like, hi, I had four stitches, um, you know. Right. What? Just, they know nothing about your journey. You know, someone could be struggling with fertility in that moment. And you ask yes. them, you know, it's just, it's a very insensitive question. And something I still haven't figured out how to respond to just yet, because- even though I hear it all the time, it usually catches me off guard because I just happen to be like having, you know, a casual conversation with someone and then boop, there goes that question again. Um, and, and then the worst response. So I even on my blog piece, I even put some of the responses. So h- here are some of the responses I get. And okay, tell me. And these are lifetime responses, like like real, like real stuff. So somebody said to me, oh, wow, that's crazy. Hmm. Is it crazy though? Like the the second one, this is my favorite. You're being selfish. Oh, am I now? Yeah. Um, the third one was you're being unfair to your child. And that makes me think, why have you had a conversation with Halima recently? Does she feel like, you know, treated unfairly? Yeah. Like you don't even know my child. And then the next one, Kids need someone. Yes, she has me. 
and her father. Right. <laughs> and everyone else in her life who loves her. And then, you know, the final one, and this, this actually got shouted at me. Don't ever say that. I was like, oh, okay, sorry. I, I felt okay. like, go ahead. I, I want to unpack that a little bit. <laughs> Don't ever say that. Yes. Why? I don't know. And that was actually, like, I wouldn't say screamed, but it wasn't at the tone you and I are talking. It was at a higher level. Um, and it, was, it wasn't somebody that I knew. It was just a stranger. It, it really baffles me how the fact that a stranger, really anyone in our lives, feel the need to pass judgment on and then speak to how they think you should be living your life. And I feel like a response such as that one, like, don't ever say that. That is exactly why I wanted to start this podcast. Yeah. We as women and we especially as mothers are told too often, don't ever say that. Don't say that out loud. Oh, but keep why? that to yourself. This but is why. Like- you know, when women don't, you know, when um, I had, um, you know, my battle with food and my body, um, mm-hmm. everybody was like, don't tell anyone. Don't like, it's, you know, it was very, this is where anxiety, postpartum depression, mm-hmm. um, shame, shame or, this is where all of this, you give it the most beautiful breeding ground. And yes. why would we want to do that to moms who have just, given birth to our future. I mean, let's, let's put this into perspective. Our kids are going to be the ones that essentially determine our future. Let's think about that. And now right. the, the sole care providers, we're putting them in a situation where they are not going to flourish. We're not giving women the opportunity to say, hey, I really think I suck at being a mom. I need help. Yes. How many women feel- have you heard say that? How many? Like, not, not many. I, I mean, honestly, not many. you are the first woman I've, I've spoken to about, like, that has been able to admit it and say there's no shame in admitting that. And I think that's where Never. you and I really connected because I really felt like I'm going to be judged by everybody and I didn't feel judged by you. Like, mm. it was okay for me to say that, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm doing this right and I want to do it right. And I think that's what needs to be accepted in society is that the reason we're telling you our deepest, you know, fears and concerns is because we want to fix it. We, we, we want it to be right. We just, right. we're seeking help. And, we're, and now we're being condemned for this help, you know? I, I definitely know what you mean. And it's something that I feel so passionately about um, about eradicating as much as I can. I don't want women to to feel this shame, to feel this guilt, to feel this sense of otherness yeah. because they are grappling with these feelings and these thoughts and these these questions. I, I want there to be honest conversation about what it really looks like to be in in these relationships on these journeys, and so. I want to take things back. So we've kind of skipped around with your story, but I don't want to gloss over one major fact, which is you've moved from London 
to Texas. Yes. And then shortly thereafter became pregnant. So <laughs> talk to me about that. We kind of mentioned the identity shift and everything like that, but you were away from your family. You were away from your friends. You were away from everything you knew. So what did that look like as you were, you know, going along your pregnancy journey and and then after you delivered your daughter? Um, you know, where do I begin? Uh, for, for the first time, probably lost for words. And when I think about it and I go back, I could cry very easily. Not from unhappiness, just from pure change. Um, you know, I was so young. I, I mean, I'm still young now. I'm 27, but, um, I was, I mean, I had just finished university. I met Omer and I moved right away. I left everything. I left 22 years of my life. Um, and then when I moved to this other country and by the way, um, Dallas is nothing like London. It's completely different. <laughs> you don't say. I mean, firstly, no offense, but you guys do not have tea here. What you guys call tea is not tea. I mean, I just, <laughs> that in itself was traumatic. <laughs> I um, now have my tea shipped to me from England. Call me bougie if you may, but I, I'm sorry. I just, I have to have my tea. <laughs> And I say that because I'm drinking my tea right now while we're having a conversation. <laughs> um, it's afternoon tea, so obviously. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, you know, oh my goodness. I, like just, just thinking about it right now, I'm just trying to sort through, um, you know, the, the plethora of emotions that I went through. Initially, you know, I got on the flight. I was married. Um, I was moving to another country. This was the biggest adventure of my whole entire life. Um, you know, of course, super exciting. Um, we went on our honeymoon, I came back, um, and I started working with my husband for a little bit, just kind of, you know, just kind of figuring out because I always knew that I wanted to teach, but I was also really interested in my husband's business. Um, so I was just kind of like, well, you know, I mean, while I'm waiting for my immigration, because, you know, I had to wait until I got a social security number before I could um, study to be a teacher here in Texas because the, you know, teaching in England is totally different to teaching in, in America. There's like different procedures, different licenses. Right. So I, I had to, you know, I had to wait to get my social security number and we were just married. So I was like, well, you know, I can kind of just go to work with Omer and just kind of, you know, get a feel for what he's doing. And if I like that, then maybe I'll work with him. And I just, and I had this great, um, you know, model in front of me, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law worked together and they built their business empire and they did it side by side. And I just, for me, it was like, wow, why would I not do that with Omer, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I I started working with Omer a little bit and I really enjoyed kind of what I was doing. And it kind of seemed like it would be I felt like that would be my career. I felt like I would handle his the marketing division of his company. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I fell pregnant um, in July, July 14th. I remember the day very well. How could you not? (laughs) 
yeah, July 14th, I found out I was pregnant. Um, and at the time it was Ramadan. So I'm Muslim. So I was fasting that month. Um, and it was the last few days. So, um, but as soon as I found out I was pregnant, um, you know, we, you, you don't have to fast if you're pregnant. So I decided not to. And, um, and that was good because like the first five months of my pregnancy, I was just throwing up nonstop. So, mm. um, then I decided to stop working at Omer's business because it was just, uh, an, all, I mean, you know, you've kind of worked in marketing before it's an all encompassing career, you know, you Definitely. just, you're yeah. on the go all the time, emails, phone calls at all hours of the day. Um, and I could barely hold down a glass of water. I was throwing up that much. Mm. so for me to get into the office was just not doable and I couldn't work from home so I was like Omer I'm really sorry but you gotta figure it out you gotta hire somebody else yeah um so I stayed at home um and I think that's when um prenatal depression kicked in for me it was tough it was really tough because then I realized I'm 22 I'm pregnant I gave up my scholarship to do my master's in England. Um, I don't have a job here and I'm pregnant. Mm. Oh, and did I mention I was pregnant? (laughs) (laughs) Huge. Yeah. Those are huge. Um, And that was it. I was, um, and people are probably going to be really judgmental at this point and that's okay. Um, I would cry every single day. I didn't want to be pregnant because it was so foreign. And I was already in such a foreign, literally, you know, situation. I was in another country. I was away from my mom, my dad, from my best friend who has been that she's just, you know, I, I speak to her every day, but I was away from her. And it was, I didn't have any friends here. I didn't know anyone. And I I mean, I just kind of want you to think about that for a second. Imagine being 22 in a different country where you don't know anyone. Um, yeah, that was, it was scary. It was really scary. Um, so up until about six months, I was pretty sad. And Omer did everything in his power to cheer me up. Um, so what would, what ended up happening was every two to three months I would fly to London. Okay. I was back and forth from London every six weeks about about that time frame. Okay. Um, so every six weeks I'd pack up, I'd go, and I'd stay in London for like six to eight weeks. I'd stay there for a long amount of time. Whoa. Which was doing nothing for my marriage. Absolutely nothing. Because we were newly married. Mm. Uh, I was pregnant and he was in Dallas running his business and I was in England and it was, I was unhappy in Dallas. I was unhappy in England because I wasn't with Omer. So there was, there was, I couldn't find happiness. It was just, I don't know what was going on. It was just horrible. And then Omer says to me, you said you wanted to teach. and." By this point, I had received my social security number. Okay. So he was like, why don't you at least volunteer? I was about six and a half months pregnant. um, And I 
found this uh, company called Te uh, Texas Refugee Services, um, and they teach refugees that come over to Dallas uh, English and basic life skills and things like that. So I started working with these women um, from Iran and Afghanistan, and I was teaching them English. And they had young kids, and everything changed then. Everything changed because I had found women that were in my situation. They were in a foreign land and they felt lost and I was lost with them. And it was, it was beautiful. Honestly, it was, I think that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Having met these women mm. who had fled their countries to be here, to be safe, but they missed home and they knew that this was a better place for them, but they missed home. They missed their family. And I was in the same. So even though I was teaching them English, I was, teaching them English, but they were learning it to speak to me about how they were feeling. So we were, we kind wow. of became each other's support. And it was really, really beautiful. It was awesome. And I stayed on right up until I gave birth with Halima. Like I stayed, I stayed working and it was a voluntary role. Um, and I just, I just really, all of a sudden I felt happy. I felt like I wasn't, and I don't, you know, I don't know if it's happiness. I think it was just, you know, that weird saying, misery needs company. Mm -hmm. I think, it, I think it was that. I think I needed to know that I wasn't the only one who felt alienated here. Mm. Um, so that really helped me a lot. And then, you know, um, I started to become happier and Omer was like, obviously overjoyed. <laughs> My wife is extremely happy and at that time we were living with his family um and I and I like that I really like that arrangement um it was I didn't want to be alone because it was new and I would have rather had his mum and dad with me or just his, you know his dad would go to work and at least I had his mum in the house with me so I wasn't alone right um but I was I was still traveling back to London I was still but not as often I would go every eight weeks to every 12 weeks I kind of pushed out a little bit more okay anyway so my last trip to London I went and when I came back Omer had surprised me and we had got our own apartment oh it wow. was it was amazing I was super excited um and then all of the all of a sudden the the realization that I was going to be a mom and this was going to be my home kicked in and then I got excited. Mm. I was, I felt like I didn't need, I didn't need the crutch of my mother-in-law anymore. Um, I was, I was getting ready to have my own home and that helped me build an identity, like having a place of my, and it's not that I wasn't welcome in my mother-in-law's home and they had a huge place. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was looking for extra room or yeah, you know, um, but so, you know, having your own home, it's your own identity. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden, I really felt like that was my home now. And I had Halima's nursery to decorate. And I became completely encompassed in all of that. And and I honestly feel the only reason that shift happened in my pregnancy was because I met those other women. And it made me realize that, yes, what I'm going through is hard. 
but I left my country out of choice. Mm. It was safe for me to go. These women fled their countries. They they have come here with nothing. Um, and I think that really helped me put my life into perspective. Um, and then, you know, I, I realized that, you know, this, I know to me it's a really big deal. But when I look at the bigger picture and I look at these other women that are going through a version of my life, mm -hmm. I have to be grateful. I really have to be. And I think I was, I think I was being partially selfish. Um, but also I was dealing with a lot of emotions that most 22-year-olds don't go. Most 22-year-olds are partying. Right. You know, they've right? graduated college. They're thinking about what yeah. career they want to start. Um, and you were starting over in a sense. I really was. I was starting from scratch. And that was that was tough. Um, and, you know, after Halima was born, I started studying from home and getting my certification to teach and things like that. And I just, I had to keep reminding myself that I am in charge of what direction my life goes. Yes, there will be obstacles that may mold um, certain experiences and add a little flair or take away a little bit of shine from things. But I really am responsible for me and my experiences and how I let them take charge of my life and whether I let them take charge at all yes. you know it, it it was so easy for me to just stay in that awful mindset of not wanting to be pregnant and you know and and just being miserable it that was probably the easiest thing to have done but you know meeting those other women was the I, I think it was a real game changer for me it sounds it really like it. And so now I'm curious, what words of advice would you offer to another woman who's in your situation who, or in a situation similar to that, which you lived through and they've moved to a new country, they're expecting, and they're trying to figure out how in the world they can even attempt to raise their family in such a foreign mind space, you know, like headspace. You're like a, I'm yeah. expecting a child. I'm in a new country. Everything is different. How do you move forward? So, I mean, just before I answer that question, I do want to touch on something real quick that sure. you just kind of brought up. But raising Halima in America is very different to raising Halima in England. Mm. That in itself was I had to I had to face some realities and I had to accept some stuff and I changed some stuff. But I had to accept some stuff. Okay. Um, so that I think, you know, when you're in a different country, the culture is different. It's the 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 Dallas Texan culture is very different to the British culture. It's completely different. Mm. Um, and I've tried to hold on to as much as I can, but I've learned to let go. And I think that's the lesson that I would say to other mums is choose your battles. And remember to choose your battles and look at the war, if that makes sense. Yes, try to see the big picture. Yes. And I say war because there is bloodshed. <laughs> just <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> just, you know, um, and not to paint a grim picture because motherhood, I mean, you know, 
it is beautiful. It's, it's all encompassing. It's beautiful. It's wild. It's crazy. It's untamed. It's precarious. And I, I could go on and on and on, but you know, just, just know that you can hold on to some things, but there's some stuff you just have to let go of. Um, and that's for your own sanity because sometimes holding on, it's kind of like, you know, holding on to a broken mirror, trying to fix that is sometimes more painful than it is to just buy a new one. Right. Yeah. It's you as you're trying to look at yourself and, and figure out yeah. your reflection that's staring back at you. And it's like, let's just, let's just start fresh. Let's just start over. And I think that's, that's the big takeaway. Don't be scared to paint a new picture. Mm. How many people in the world get to do that? That is like such a, when now when I look back at it all, I think how many 22 year olds get a do over? Mm. Like how many? I got to just, just, I got a second chance at life. That's how I, honestly, I know that sounds so incredibly far-fetched but I really do feel that way I feel like I got to start over I got to be here away from I mean I had a wonderful life in England um but I you know with every life there's always drama and there's problems and my biggest you know when I moved here that was the end of my my eating disorder journey Mm. and for me this was a fresh start and I could just forget that part of me even existed. I got to, you know, really start afresh. But at the time, I didn't know that. So for other moms who are going through that, I just, I just want them to know that this is, this is your fresh start. This is what you have been wishing for on all those dark days. God, I wish I could just start over. Well, here it is. And embrace it. And yes, it's going to be difficult. But the other time that you did it, it was also difficult. It was just more familiar. Mm. Yes. Wow. That was beautifully put. Beautifully put. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Well, I think we we covered so much of your story. And I'm so appreciative of you for being here and for being honest about what your journey has looked like through, you know, before you moved to Texas and moving here and just, you know, everything that goes along with taking on a new identity and, and still trying to maintain who you are. It is, it's something that I personally was not prepared for going into my journey of being a wife, being a mother, um, taking care of the home and still being me. So this conversation is so inspirational for me <laughs> just to hear like how you've gone about it and, and how you are continuing to stay open and just adapt as, as you pointed out earlier, adapt to everything that comes your way. So thank you for being here and I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I mean, I, I've learned so much from you that it's, it's okay to, to feel like this. And that's it for this episode of Young Honest Mother, the podcast, which means it's time for you to join the conversation. Share your thoughts on social media and tag me at Young Honest Mother. 
and then pass this episode along to friends and family who need to know that they're not alone on this journey either. Until next time, I'm your host, Maurice Young.